Welcome to Kane and Baum Podcast, episode number 48. I'm Tom Barthel, currently serving as pastor at Christ Lutheran Church, a Wells congregation in Baxter, Minnesota. Glad to be serving as your host for this episode. We'll begin this episode with Moment with the Master, shared by Pastor Aaron Nitz. Greetings. God's word again for us today is from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 13, and it reads, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You know, life as a Christian can be difficult. I mean, we want to strive to live according to God's will, right? He has done everything to care for us, to save us, to make us eternally rich. And we want to use our lives to praise him, to honor him and glorify him. But that's not easy. I mean, to look after the needs of others before my own? To be unselfish, to forgive instead of holding a grudge, to be content in any and every circumstance? Isn't God asking a lot of us? But here God reminds us, I can do everything pleasing to God through Christ who gives me strength. Christ who caused seas and storms to be still. Christ who stormed through hell in a victory parade. Christ who powerfully rose from the dead. He has taken up residence in your heart. He is the one who gives you the strength to do all things according to his will. Because of him and through him, we can live our lives to his glory. I'm confident of Christ's power in my life, and so are you. May the Lord pour out his blessings on you this day and always. Goodbye. Here's a Christmas hymn shared by Branches Band. Of the Father's love begotten, ere the world's began to be, He is Alpha and Omega, He the source, the ending He. Of the things that are that have and that future you shall see evermore and Now he shines the long expanse
word for you, Job 15, verses 1 to 13. The first verse, Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied. At this point we find ourselves in the second round of questions of Job's friends. There are three of these rounds. The second and third rounds are quite a bit shorter than the first one. Together, the second and third rounds, chapters 15 to 26, are virtually the same length as the first round, which went from chapters uh, 4 to 14. Would a wise man answer with empty notions or fill his belly with the hot east wind? Would he argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? But you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. Your sin prompts your mouth. You adopt the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. I, this isn't that crucial, but I'm a little conflicted by the meaning of, of the phrase in verse 2, he fill his belly with the hot east wind. The kadim, or east wind, is the sirocco that blows out of the desert. And the NIV added the word hot as a hint that Eliphaz might, Eliphaz might have been saying that Job is full of hot air. The heat of this wind is the meaning in, in, in Jonah, um, uh, Jonah chapter 4 when the wind blows. But in Hosea 12, 1, the kadim is also a worthless wind, bringing no good with it. And that could be what Eliphaz means also. It could either be hot air or uh, useless air. And in fact, in verse 3, he says, would he argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? Eliphaz doesn't think much of what Job has been saying. Let's continue with verses 7 and following. Are you the first man ever born? Were you brought forth before the hills? Do you listen in on God's counsel? Do you limit yourself or limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we don't know? What insights do you have that we don't have? The gray-haired and the aged are on our side, men even older than your father. <laughs> Did you catch the reference to the extreme age of Old Testament believers? At the end of the book, we will learn that Job lived for many years after this. Job and his wife had many more children, and Job lived to see four generations of his family. Now, since the children who had died were grown and living on their own, ten of them from oldest to youngest, we can guess that Job was at the very least in his late 40s by this time. That still leaves 90 years for him to see more children and grandchildren in about 25 years, great-grandchildren in about 50 years, and the fourth generation in 75 more years or so. Job's friends are apparently all older than he is, but Job had been blessed by God and had obtained enormous wealth in livestock and servants, 
Perhaps he had inherited some of that wealth from his father, but since he obtains even more in the end, we know that Job was a very savvy businessman and a, an excellent rancher. Verses 11 to 13. Are God's consolations not enough for you, words spoken gently to you? Why has your heart carried you away, and why do your eyes flash so that you vent your rage against God and pour out such words from your mouth. What we learn most of all from these words of Eliphaz is that he hasn't learned anything from what he's heard from Job. He's stuck in his opinion that he's right, and he's unwilling to listen anymore to Job. So there's something very important to be learned from the phrase, are God's consolations not enough for you? Eliphaz and Job disagreed about something more than Job's guilt. They were in disagreement about God's will. Two people can use the same language about God and not believe the same thing. For example, one church acknowledges and confesses faith in Jesus Christ as the way of salvation and might profess the apostles and Nicene creeds as correct understanding of what the Bible says, but, and it says about the triune God, for example, and yet, 50 years ago, that church, in a, in, a, in, a, in a council that lasted from 1962 to 65, made this statement that people who don't trust in Jesus as their Savior can be saved as long as they acknowledge their Creator. Listen to the actual words from the Vatican II Council, uh, from the statement Lumen Gentium. The plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge their Creator. These profess to hold the faith of Abraham, yet... And, and, and together with us, they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge, on the last day. If you listen carefully, you'll realize that we can't agree with that. Jesus' words cannot be contradicted by a council of the church. He said, whoever does not believe will be condemned in Mark 16. The only way to show love and respect to a person without faith in Jesus, even if they say they believe in the Creator, is to tell them the grave danger they're in and to tell them about the only rescue from that danger, which is Jesus Christ. Descendant uh, from Abraham, belief in the Creator, that won't do it. It'll only convict a person in their sins. Just as you wouldn't withhold medicine from a sick friend, so too we cannot withhold the medicine of Christ from people who don't know him or who reject him, no matter what else they say about their creator. Jesus is the only way to heaven, and his gospel is the message we carry into the world. That's how we show our love for him and our love for them. Anything else is as useless as, well, as the hot, useless air of the Kadim. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. Next, we have Freedom in Christ, shared by Pastor Mark Falk. Galatians 3, 15-18, The Chicken or the Egg To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterward, 
does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Uh, The ESV. If the chicken is salvation by promise, and the egg is the law of Moses, the answer is easy. Chicken first, egg second. The obsession of Jesus and Paul's fellow Jews with law and obedience, with counting steps so as not to violate Shabbat, and in modern times with keeping two sets of pots and pans in a kosher kitchen so as never to mix even the slightest milk and meat in the same meal. These things have their roots in the law of Moses. The law of Moses is falsely named, however. It is a covenant of law with God's Old Testament people, the children of Israel, the Jews, but it comes from the hand and heart of God. Moses only delivers it. Paul does not deny the source of the law of Moses. He actually upholds it better than the most observant, obsessive Pharisee. However, the covenant of grace through the promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came over 400 years earlier, before Sinai codified Sabbath worship requirements and established a myriad of sacrifices for sin, before restrictive dress codes impacted both priests and people, before all the rites that first century Jews and serious Jews today made the center of their attention, before all this, and certainly before the many, many scribal additions, before this, God gave salvation through a promise, through the promise. In Abraham's seed, Jesus, the inheritance of heaven became the possession of a man before Israel. Jacob is Israel. Abraham is his father. The children of Israel are also the children of Abraham, in the flesh, that is. The law served a significant purpose, but salvation through faith is not set aside by a later word. Even human covenants don't work that way. You cannot simply change the provisions of a will, certainly not 400 years after it has been ratified and established. God made this covenant with Abraham, and Abraham believed it. This covenant was Abraham's hope of salvation and assurance that all God's promises would come to pass. Jesus, the seed, is at the heart of the promises. It is now 4,000 years later, and salvation has not changed. The egg still follows the chicken, but we are, all of us, law people by nature. Is it pride that makes us such? Do we refuse to admit that we cannot be saved by obedience to the law because we cannot meet the standard, cannot offer perfect obedience? The seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, Jesus, has offered perfect obedience. The promise is to him who is obedient and through him to us who always struggle to obey. It must be by faith or it is not by promise because promises require nothing. We believe them on the basis of the promiser who convinces us he is trustworthy and that his word is dependable. We believe human promises based on the trustworthiness of the one who promises. Even more so, we believe divine promises because God convinces us to set aside our unbelief and believe in his great love, mercy, and full forgiveness 
in Christ. Thus, all true believers are children of Abraham. We are amazed at an inheritance heaven that requires nothing of us at all, for faith is a gift of God. But this is the way inheriting works. We hear the will, we receive the things promised. Christ died and we have received all the promises of him who also rose again to await our arrival in heaven. We have the chicken. The egg of good works comes from the chicken of salvation and faith in Christ. We close with a hymn performed by Koine.
You've been listening to episode number 48 of Canaan Bound Podcast. Visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com for more information. We'd like to thank Branches Band for their song Of the Father's Love Begotten from their album Behold, as well as Koine for O Come and Come Emmanuel from their album Emmanuel Lux. This episode was first shared in November of 2013. We encourage you to visit a Wells ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us.